Hello, I am Giles Alderson, director of the Dare feature film and World of Darkness feature documentary. Welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast, where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films, how to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. Joining me today is our regular co-host, who not only has been chilling down at Boardmasters... <laughs> But he's preparing madly for the premiere of Fanged Up at Fright Fest this Friday, the 25th at 9pm at the Prince Charles Cinema. It's Christian James, hello. Hi, Giles. Thanks. That's a very impressive intro you've given me there. Thank I'm you. sort of like some sort of a part-time surfer slash filmmaker living the dream. Yeah, I Thanks. think I kind of think you are. I'll go with that. It's you've got to be. So to uh, Fright Fest, you're excited for yeah. Friday. It's Friday. Yeah, it's, it's an equal mix of excitement and fear. You know, we spend our lives making films to show them to people. But then you get to this stage... And the one thing I don't want to do is show it to anybody. I'm so, you know, you're like, oh, I, I, you, you know, you want to stand up and just make excuses for yourself. But uh, but no, it's coming on good. So I sort of signed off on the DCP at the start of this week. Wow. So, so the close. movie's kind of like, it's literally, you know, hot out of the oven. It's still steaming. Um, but yeah, good. I, 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 steaming. That is the worst. Still yeah. steaming. Still, this movie's still steaming. What the <laughs> hell have I just said? Um, but no, it's good. I'm really pleased with it. Uh, I can't wait. So uh, it's, it'll be good to get some actual honest feedback from... Um, just joke. real horror fans real horror fans yeah exactly yeah just, just members of the public and people that just don't know it or know me or you know see what they think of it I'm gutted I can't be there because I'm doing reshoots on the dare I'm actually really disappointed I can't be there did what? you know that what the fuck I know I this is hold on a second stop the, no yeah no it's, it's fine Giles I can't you know if you're making your own film I can't you know, I'm can't sorry I, but I will be um, listening out for all the tweets and retweeting for you Any, wait, anything no, positive obviously wait and I'll just send you the good ones okay I'm cool ignore the I'll retweet ones. them yeah fine so joining us today is Chris Jones, who directed the action thriller The Runner, serial killer thriller White Angel, paranormal horror urban ghost story edited and was one of the directors on 50 Kisses. He was Oscar nominated for the brilliant short film Gone Fishing, has recently directed the short film Seeing Him Written and starring Vanessa Bailey. And he co-created and authored the brilliant The Gorilla Filmmakers Handbook series, of which there are eight editions all about filmmaking. Welcome to the show, Chris Jones. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. We are in Ealing Studios. I love Ealing Studios. You're in in a storeroom in Ealing Studios. Okay, yeah, now it doesn't sound as glamorous. We're now in a storeroom <laughs> surrounded by boxes and tripods and speakers. But it sounds good. It does. It's acoustically dead. <laughs> it's a bit like us. Yeah. <laughs> I actually love Ealing Studios. I went to drama school over the road. And my first big feature film was I Want Candy, which we shot here. Which in, I this, was in. in this broom cupboard. In this broom cupboard, wow. I did a lovely naked scene. Great. No, we, we actually filmed downstairs. We filmed all around here. But I, the feeling of joy walking around here and seeing all the, the sort of films that were made here and all the history. I'm so glad it didn't get. Um, it, it, it is taken a strange down. place, you know, when people visit it because it is. It is very, it's an old place, it's an old studio, and it's steeped in history, and you can kind of feel it. These are actually, the room that we're in right now is actually one of the old cutting rooms. So all of the old Ealing comedies were cut in these rooms. So it could have been the Man in the White Suit or the Lavender Hill Mob actually was cut where you're sitting. That is so cool. Wow. Yeah. And now it's a storeroom. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the movie business. <laughs> Today we're talking about writing scripts, filmmaking, and how to get up off your ass and be inspired and how best to go about it. So first up, Chris, let's talk about the London Screenwriters Festival. It's happening very soon, 14th to the 17th of September. You can get your tickets now. But tell us, what is it and what happens? So it's about three weeks away um, from today. It's a three-day uh, annual conference. It's kind of like an orgy for screenwriters um, because many screenwriters just don't get out enough and meet other creative people. Screenwriting is 
by definition, a kind of solitary uh, exercise where you spend a lot of time in your own head and your own subconscious, and it can it can make you go a little bit bonkers. And so once a year, we all come together and celebrate um, this crazy thing that we do called storytelling and reaching wider wider audiences. It's a real eclectic mix of workshops, seminars. Um, we do very hands-on stuff like you know about the script at uh, the uh, actors' table reads, where we actually perform um, writers' scripts. And for m- many new writers, that's a kind of light bulb moment where they go, "Oh my god, my words are brought to life by actors and a director." Um, we do intensive labs where it's six writers and one a- expert. So this year we're running a lab with Jeb Stewart, who wrote Die Hard on writing American thrillers. Um, we have a legal clinic. We have all these additional stuff, but the core of it are these four or five um, strands of seminars and workshops. So it could be anything from how to write great dialogue with Pilar Alessandra, who's flying in from LA, or we've got the creative team who put together Ripper Street, and that we're going to deconstruct the very first episode and the journey from idea through pitch through development through execution and now they're on the fifth season so we go very very deeply into into the business of it the craft of it and the art of it chris you didn't need to do all that you had me at orgy <laughs> it's fine just say i'm holding an orgy we'd have been there it's, no, the rest not of even screen i didn't even get beyond script right i just said he heard orgy is like oh sounds good where yeah. is it yeah great that sounds awesome it does sound like i'm gonna be there i'm gonna be directing one of the te- actors table reads i'm very excited by that yep and i'm gonna be around the festival the whole time it's it's a really cool festival uh i was here two years ago uh, and yeah, really cool, really good. Yeah, really I, interesting. I think the distinction between what we do and what other people do is it's very energetic, and I think that's what takes some people by surprise the very first time that they attend. The kind of the first of all the hands-on nature of it, you know, because we could all be very stuffy and you know talk very intellectually, but this is very down and dirty. Roll your sleeves up, get your hands into the mud, but also the vibe of it. You know, we work very, very hard right from the very first session with the keynote which which i do and i i get people i i shift their way of being so that they can really experience the next three days almost like a child like a four-year-old experiences life it's like just just leave all your baggage at the door let's just totally fucking unleash now and have some fun for three days for new and aspiring writers what are the not pitfalls but i suppose the hurdles they've got to get over what's the what's the one thing you see every time and you're like i need to combat this or how do you get around those well, I, I, I think the first, the first thing, and I, I don't think this is common to, I don't think this is unique to screenwriting, and it's common to almost every discipline. Which is when you begin something, you have a very, very fast learning curve, and you know you can sit down and you can learn how to write a script, and you can write your first script, having never done it in a day. But there's a distinction between that and being able to write something that. Hollywood wants to make for $300 million. And there's lots of steps and plateaus and bumps along the journey. And I think I think for most new writers, discovering the enormity of what they maybe don't know is the first thing that, that they have to get their head around without that being so daunting that they go, oh, this is, this is too hard. Um, so once people get past that, then it, you know, it's just a journey of creativity. I'm very, very nervous about saying people make the same mistakes over and over again because everybody's a different person. Everybody's got their own creativity to bring. We've got our own personal history through which we filter everything. Um, and so it's, it's, you kind of need to drill down into the questions like, 
if you want to be produced as a low-budget screenwriter, what are the mistakes that you made? If you want to get a, into Netflix, what is the journey that you maybe have to commit to do that? So it's kind of where do you want to go? Screenwriting is too big a question. We need to go into all the different disciplines and niches to really um, address that. I suppose my own personal niche is independent filmmaking because that's where I've come from. I mean, it's, it's been well documented now. Things like reduce the amount of characters you've got, reduce your locations, go through your script, and every time it says night, you scribble that out and say day. You know, all that kind of simple stuff. You I've know, done all these things. I've done everything. That's what I did. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the classic one, which we did in, in a film I made called Urban Ghost Story, in the script it originally said um, the, the door breaks open and four uh, police officers c come rushing into the room and then we couldn't afford that so we went to we hear the door smashing in as four police officers run into the room and two then two police officers no 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 yeah. it carries on we then, it, then it turned into two yeah. Yeah. and then it turned into two plain clothes police officers because <laughs> yeah. we couldn't afford the uniforms <laughs> yeah. and eventually we possibly kind of thought well how could we keep it going even more and then we thought well we just have a dialogue scene last night these police officers burst in <laughs> we don't even need to film it so of course your film needs moments mm -hmm. you you have to have those moments where people go oh wow you know it's i wouldn't say water cooler moments that's again a cliche but you need to have i would say at least one moment and in in your film and you know you can go big and dramatic and production value and special effects which are very affordable now in terms of uh, getting access to it but i would still say that the best the best value you can get in a in a low budget independent film is is brilliant performances from your actors and i think that's actually what people are looking for is they they look you know they see a low budget film and they go look i know you made it for 10 grand or 50 grand i, I get all of that but in it is this incredible performance and story and drama and people are going listen if we just take that and we let's give you 12 million what would you do then? Yeah, I agree. I think it's so important that you get the right kind of actors in your film. It, it really is. That's why I think casting is massively important. Otherwise, everything can fall down. It could look beautiful. The sound could be amazing, but if it's a bad actor, you instantly step out of the cinema, usually on the DVD or a home <laughs> movie, and just go, oh, God, he's dreadful. And it takes you out of the story. Whereas you'll forgive a bad image or it's slightly bad sound. As long as the acting's brilliant, you will. Yeah. I, I hear all you know. I, I don't want to sit here and sort of say, absolutely, you're spot on because I've committed all these crimes. Mm -hmm. I, I've been the learn. person in my first film where I would cast a 21 year old mate to play, you know, a 40 year old sheriff or something. So I've, I've, and then I look at it and go, eh, that's, that's kind of really rubbish. Why is that? And then I suddenly realize later, oh, yeah, now I know why. Uh, he did a great job. Yeah, they, all these people do great, they, they turn up and I couldn't ask for more. But I've definitely been that person that's made those mistakes. And I wish I'd had someone point that out to a greater extent at the time. I wish I'd had a, this, I, this. I think one of the easy exercises that all of us can do, doesn't matter at what level your career is and what's going to happen to your script, and it's kind of working into the actor's table read, is to just read your script out loud and, and work through it with actors, even if they're not the actors you're going to use in the final production. Because it's extraordinary. When you write it in your head, you think, I need all of this stuff and all this detail, and you see a person perform it and you go... Look, just cut half of that out. It's just completely unnecessary. And I think many filmmakers and many writers, they don't go through that process. So they submit a script that's overwritten. Or worse, if it's a low-budget film, they take that script to set and then they spend valuable money shooting something that in an ideal world they can just cut out. In, in a worst-case scenario, 
because of the way it's structured, it's very difficult to cut out. So you end up reshooting it <laughs> even shorter. But, you know, that's all part and parcel of the journey. But I think getting your words into the to the soul and soul of another human being and let them put it out to the world you'll see all sorts of nuance and detail you didn't know was there and you don't actually have to be quite so explicit on the page mm. actors are great at bringing those little moments i love that when well, they they find a little gem in there you went oh i didn't mean that and someone will ask you oh i love the way you did they go yeah yeah i did that on purpose <laughs> well hu- human beings are meaning making machines you know we love the mystery of a conversation so you kind of want your story on the page to be mysterious now not cryptic you know don't be too Dan Brown, where it's like it's like a, a puzzle. Just don't ever be Dan Brown. That's well, my hey, biggest. Well, hey, listen, if, if, if <laughs> that's my advice. problem, I'll take that problem, <laughs> yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just about finding the mystery so that people are constantly leaning into your story um, instead of leaning away and thinking about the channel surf button or popcorn mm. or going to the loo. Again, back to what you're saying, I would work with friends out of convenience – uh, some some of the, those friends I'm still working with today. And but, some of them are great actors. So yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, uh, 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 yourself counted. But Thank you. in other, in other, <laughs> I've got to really caveat this. Of a lot of I'm walking through a minefield now. But um, you work with people to, to some degree out of convenience. But I like recently working with uh, actors who've become directors because they understand on set what you're going through. And often I wonder. So extend that to writers. I suppose if you've got a lot of new writers that haven't got out there and made something, they don't get the, you know, yeah, the difference between having three extras or five extras. You, you suddenly, you, if you throw in, you know, 10, 15, all those mouths to feed, all those people, you need a third AD to run that. So how do you get writers thinking in those terms? So we run a thing called Create 50, which is something that came out of the Screenwriters Festival. You alluded to it in the introduction. We made a film called 50 Kisses, and we're currently doing one called The Impact 50. Um, and the idea is very simple. You write a two-page script on a theme, send it in. We select the 50 best stories. We then put them out on the internet. Any filmmaker on the planet can then make a version of that script, submit it to the process, and we're going to make a feature film out of all of the films submitted. The Impact 50 is set in the last two hours of humanity as we know there's an asteroid coming, we know it's going to impact at the end of the film, and it's what do people do? And there are 50 stories um, on the website that you can choose and, and make. Now, what happened with 50 Kisses, the one before that, is it went out to the world, and lots of people made them, and it was great, and we made a film. But on this one, what's been really fascinating is those writers who were involved in 50 Kisses who really dedicated themselves to the process and got themselves into the final 50 through outstanding writing – they're now producing and directing their own films. Amazing. And they're also directing other people's film, other people's screenplays, because they've figured out that actually it's the smartest way to make your career happen. And every experience elevates your personal ability to do something. Uh, Even if it's a really series of really, really bad experiences, you're going to come out of it richer. Mm. So there is no failure. There's only taking action and looking smartly at the experience you've had and then taking that and moving it forward. What's great about 50 Kisses and uh, Impact 50 is that anyone who manages to be one of those writers, which you've already selected, right? You've already got the 50. And one of the directors gets us a credit on a feature film. Yeah, yeah. What a great start for those people who did 50 Kisses. No wonder they're doing stuff because they've already got a great credit. And to share a credit with Joe Esterhaus, who's the highest paid wow, screenwriter yeah. on the planet, mm-hmm. you know, for Basic Instinct. So he wrote the first 
it's actually 51, uh, right. 51 stories in this one because we're including <laughs> Joe's story, which is the speech by the president, which is slightly stuck. We got kind of trumped because <laughs> we're all ready to go out. And then Donald Trump changed the landscape so much. We're like, okay, how are we going to handle this? <laughs> um, so, and, and anyway, we'll, we will get it released after the Screenwriters Festival. We're just in, in festival mode right now. But yeah, I, I encourage every filmmaker, you know, there, it, if you want to make a short film without much risk, but also with a possible massive upside, create 50 is it. You should be able to shoot it in a day mm-hmm. and put it into the process. And, and you know, people... Some people look at it as a competition, and I would say you're kind of missing the best part of it because it's really an initiative. You put your film in, mm-hmm. and then you get peer review feedback, and you're able to go back and recut, re rescore, do whatever you want, and resubmit. And, and I think that's where most people get the biggest benefits. Like uh, one writer referred to it as film school for a fiver. Amazing. And, and yeah. it's exactly what it is. Yeah. And, there, and there's a new title right there. That's a new, you call it that. <laughs> um, darling, back, how did you, so Joe Estaz, that's an interesting uh, combination yourself and Joe Estaz. How do you guys, or how did you get him involved? So we, we asked Joe to come to the Screenwriters Festival probably four or five years ago. He came and we had some fantastic sessions. We did our very first script to screen um, with Joe. So this is something we do at the festival where we watch a film We've all got the shooting script and we watch it live with the writer. We do like an unofficial DVD chat track. And we did the first one with Joe Esterhouse, which, you know, I said, look, I'll do it. It'll be fine. And then it's it's fine watching Basic Instinct, but you watch it with 500 people in a room looking at you and you're like, okay, that's all happening right there, isn't it? Okay, this is just a little bit awkward. Um, Should have gone Showgirls instead. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, so but that's the you know the first one we did and since then we've we've done jaws we've done um fight club and this year we've got um die hard with jeb stewart so that's very very cool i mean almost everyone of my generation it's either star wars or die hard it's it's one of those two films is the defining film so we're going to be we're going to be having a great time on Sunday afternoon at the festival. All, you know, the whole community watching Die Hard, reading it along with Jeb Stewart, listening to how and why things got got written the way they were written, and what happened in the cutting room and the whole the whole journey of it. That sounds amazing. How can people get tickets to this? So go to the London Screenwriters Festival website. Just Google it or LondonSWF.com. Tickets are available right now. We're at, I, I nearly ninety percent. By the time this goes out, it'll probably be ninety percent sold out. Um, I, if you're sitting on the fence, you know what? Choose. Don't come or come. Both are the right answer, but don't do what most people do in life, which is sit on the fence and, and put yourself through the agony of should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I. Just choose because, you know, what? if you sit on the fence too long, you end up getting splinters up your ass. So choose. And if you come, then you can put in for some of the additional initiatives that are running right now. So you can book your slot at the legal clinic if you have a legal question all of that that kind of stuff and just throw yourself into the plasma pool that is the crazy London Screenwriters Festival experience. Chris, how do you stay so enthusiastic? Because the naivety is what probably helped me kickstart a career. But then as you go on and on and on, you know, there's a lot of challenges. And they just, you know, they they don't stop. They just change depending on what you're doing and what you're aiming for. I suppose part of evolving is you learn that's the way of things. Again, a, a new writer approaches you. How do you look at their enthusiasm and not go, oh, for God's sake, just cheat yourself. You know, well, how do you, how do you, what do you, how do you tackle that? So um, that's a great question. And I, I don't really have a particularly polished answer. I, I, I mean, 
So the Guerrilla Filmmaker's Handbook, the very first edition was like 1996 after I'd made my second feature film and ended up at a Majesty's Pleasure, kind of sitting in a prison cell going, well, that's a funny old story how I ended up here by making my film. Um, we got to tell people about this. So we told people how, what had happened uh, on that film, a film called White Angel. Um, Can you give a very... So the very short version is someone uh, from the fraud squad, let's call it, it, it was having their breakfast and listening to um, me being interviewed on TV about how well the film had done. And I was lying through my teeth because nobody was going to see the film because <laughs> it, what we didn't know, again, the naivety that you refer to is the distributors at the time were all very welcoming to us and they, they wanted to put us out on as many screens as they could. And basically, we, we were cannon fodder for the worst weekend of the year. They knew nobody was going to go, so put our movie in. Mm. And so it bombed enormously. We'd, we'd made these terrible cock-ups. And so I was on the TV, and, and I, I didn't know at the time, and you learn this shit as you go along, <laughs> is when you're being interviewed by a, an interviewer, they'll just keep asking you the same question in different ways until eventually you subconsciously crack and say something and the question was how's it well has it done in america and the truth was it, it really hadn't been released in america so and, and i was saying oh it's doing it's, it's doing brilliantly it's really doing brilliantly. this is kind of before the internet really and eventually i got pushed and pushed and i said i think it's made about a million dollars which sounded <laughs> great but that triggered somebody to kind of connect a to b and hang on their accounts say like eleven thousand pounds what's going on um, and they put us under surveillance, and we went to a bunch of film festivals with the film, but they actually thought we were international money laundering drug dealers. Wow. Um, and we got a dawn raid. You do have that look about you. I, I, must I, admit. I, I take that yeah. as a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's funny right now, you know, we got the dawn raid, but it's as absurd as you going home and going to bed, and then tomorrow morning, eight police officers smashing your front door in, arresting you, hauling you down to the station and going, we, we got you banged up for drugs. And blah, blah, blah. and you start going, oh, my God. What? I, thankfully, I've never been connected with that world. So, And this uh, is just from you saying, uh, yeah, yeah, we made a million yeah, yeah. pounds. You were just a fib. It was a bit yeah. of a white light to well, promote it was, your film. It was, it was what all filmmakers do, which mm. is you blag, mm. you know. And uh, the, uh, coming to another rule for filmmakers is don't blag the blaggers. You know, because yeah. the blaggers can spot it like a thousand miles away. So when you go into Cannes, don't announce the world. I'm my film's been selected for the Cannes Film Festival. Short corner. Yeah, <laughs> that's the yeah. day happens a lot. <laughs> How many pair? I remember like the first time. I remember just going to Cannes with my first film. Literally, not not being invited. I went, and uh, so many people's like you know parents would go. So CJ, you're doing so well. You're going to Cannes. I'd be like, yeah. Yeah, gonna can. Yeah. Cut to me staring into, uh, you know, uh, cafe windows, couldn't afford any of the food and just <laughs> kicking around town like, oh, my feet hurt. This is awful. You know, but yeah, getting rained on, couldn't afford an umbrella. But yeah, it's not as gl glamorous at all. But yeah. I yeah, yeah. We were blagging it and, and we got caught with our trousers down and, and paid a fairly heavy price. It's all in the, uh, in the book, including our arrest warrants and everything. But, you know, in life, life shows up and kicks your ass sometimes and we got our asses kicked and and we had to make a choice and there was um hilariously i was living on the isle of wight which be became known as the rock um <laughs> and um genevieve who's my business partner at the time we we went to see a film called time cop with um, um van, van damme, damme, van damme yeah. yeah and uh, pre the day before we decided look this, this is too hard 
we can't continue like this. We're going to do something else with our lives because filmmaking's just too hard. And we went to see Time Cop and we were like, that was so shocking. That was so awful. We cannot not make films. If they can do it, we can do it. Exactly. Right? Well, it was just, it was inspiring through its awfulness. Um, and um, so we picked ourselves up, wrote the book, um, and then we made our third feature on Urban, Urban Ghost Story. Uh, Jen then went off to LA and I, I went off and had a life for a while and wrote another book. And then I made the short film Gone Fishing, which was the, the Oscar qualifier one. And that was an amazing journey. And probably the point where I, I kind of, uh, you know, all artists, all creative people, you, you try on all these different things kind of wondering if your influences are who you are. So you, you begin by imitation. And through the imitation, you just, you start to piece together who you are. And it took me to that short film to really figure out what kind of filmmaker I really wanted to be. And, um, it's a, Gone Fishing is a short film about, uh, about bereavement, but it's, it's a very optimistic, it's like a Harry Potter version of a, of, of that kind of story. Um, and it's, it's, it's lovely and warm and makes you laugh and gives you hope. And when we screened it, particularly in America, uh, after each screening, there would usually be two or three people who would come to me after if I'd done a Q&A or introduced it, and they'd be like in a kind of state of like, I have to get a copy of your film. I have to show this to my cousin, my brother, my sister, my mum, my dad, because then it will all make sense. Because, you know, it, it, and you could tell that what I'd done spoke so profoundly and directly to who they are and the, the very specific experience with bereavement that they were going through at that point in their life in an optimistic way, not in a navel-gazing, sad sort of way, that it, it kind of it gave them hope, it changed them, and that's when I went, oh, my God, I can change the world through my work. Mm -hmm. Up until that point, I was just having fun making films, and it's, it's a gas, you know, it's great. But when I suddenly went, oh, wow, this is the power. And then I, I started to really connect with the, the impact and the influence our work has on the greater world and how significant it is. And I don't, I actually don't think most filmmakers really understand how much power they have if they choose to tell a story that is worthy of their time and energy and passion. And, you know, listen, I made three, three fun horror movies and thrillers. I had a great time doing them. Would I do it again? Absolutely. Um, but now I'm, I'm more interested in affecting change in people, positive change in their lives through either filmmaking or running workshops and, and seminars, particularly for creative people, but not exclusively. Um, and you know, we, we create, we create what we call magic moments where people experience a shift and they go from an old, it's kind of like the hero's journey. We, we got Chris Vogler coming this year to the Screenwriters Festival, but it's that moment where there is a shift in a human being and they go from the old self to the new self. And the, the new self is more enlightened and stronger, more focused, more capable, uh, and more usually more content. And, and they from that place, what they can create is something else and something much bigger and more profound. So... And that game is amazing. I love that. It's, we've been we've been talking about that quite a bit about how we can inspire people with our films and make a difference with the films that we want to make. It's harder with some of the horror films sometimes. And the Dare does have elements of bullying and it has elements of uh, going vegan. But it's 
it's hard to to get those across and sometimes in those kind of films but me and dan sort always talking about how we want to make change within our films mm. that can make a difference to people's lives and i love what you're saying I, I think it doesn't really matter what you make i mean that's the journey i'm on i'm i'm mm -hmm. not about to tell anyone that they shouldn't or should make a particular film i i guess my only benchmark is if you're going to make a horror film you know, look at the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and that's your benchmark. Yeah. You know, because that is an actual profound experiential thing. You know, you go to see it, you go through something. It gets you, under your skin, doesn't it, Texas yeah, Chainsaw? Yeah, I remember yeah. the first time watching that, and I idly put it on, and, I was like, and at the end I was like, oh my God, that was it literally... Because, yeah. you know, as off talked about now, but very little blood, it's very... Uh, yeah. um, can, I, can I jump back? Because I think quite interesting you mentioned, you, you made some films, then you went away and had a life. Which a lot of filmmakers forget to do <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and say. And I think I I had a I, I sort of had a similar thing myself. I'm a big advocate of you need to live. It's it's great to be. I'm all about making films, and all I want to do is make films. And I am a I'm a movie dictionary. That's brilliant, marvelous. I wish I could be like that. Unfortunately, I like to have something else as well. What did you do to have that life? And what was your? I presume something was in that that caused this profound change. Sure. That triggered the short. That triggered this new sort of career path sure sure so um i had a, a i had an epiphany probably around 2002 um probably like yourself very much filmmaking is a technical art and craft and it's very easy to kind of become completely obsessive about all of the machinery of storytelling at the one end writing words on a piece of paper at the other end you know choosing lenses and as it was then different kinds of film stock um so it, it's it's extraordinarily captivating um but i figured out that i was lost in that that world and i, I there was something missing so i i made i actually made a choice to step out of filmmaking and i did some personal training and i discovered that there's this whole other world out there with people in it um and it got a bit messy for a little while okay. um and then i i cleaned up my act and you know fell in love all of that stuff and ha stuff. had a family nice. um and then a few years later i was training um uh, at a film school and a, you know again going back to the hero's journey because i i really passionately believe that the hero's journey story model more than any other model is a reflection of of the way human beings think so something shows up and you go no i'm i'm not going to do that and then somebody shows up in your life and goes actually you know what you should or they say you'll never do it and that causes you to go oh, damn i'm going to do it anyway and you then take your first step into the new world and everything goes wrong and you meet all these new people that are going to help you and the the target is forever moving and it's, so you know the, the hero's journey model for me really really resonates but a young screenwriter filmmaker said to me oh so um you've written all these books about filmmaking and but you've not made a film in like 6 years 7 years so you've obviously given up being a filmmaker and it was like a dagger in the heart because mm. i'd never intellectually kind of said oh i'll never make another film and that was my call to adventure for gone fishing and um i went home and i spoke to a close friend uh, eddie hamilton who's um he edited urban ghost story he's currently cutting um mission impossible so he's you know really really risen uh meteorically because of the extraordinary human being that he brings to that game and uh, he said yeah well she's right 
<laughs> I don't want to hear that. Is it fun? Yeah. You don't want to hear um, and, and that, I thought, okay, so I'm going to make something. But I couldn't really face making another feature film because the quantity and quality of compromises while making a low-budget independent film is so overwhelming. And I dusted off a script and I'd sent it out and I got a bite from a major player who said, we want to make this. We want to make it for real money, like $15 million. I was like, great. Wow. And they said, but the only problem is you can't direct because your that films are old. Wow. And, and I said, I said, right, okay, I'll win the Oscar. And then, and that will prove to you that I'm capable of directing. And then walked out and went, oh God, what have I just said? Yeah. <laughs> but I then, I just, you know, in, again, in life, it's like most people don't achieve because they have way, way too low a goal. So I thought, well, if I'm going to make a short for my style of storytelling and filmmaking, what is the absurdest, biggest, most bombastic target I can go for? Well, the Oscar. And I can announce it to the world in order to give myself enough pain that I will follow through. When I'm lying in bed going, oh, I'm so tired and giving my bullshit reasons and excuses, I go, yeah, but everybody thinks I'm going to win an Oscar. Because yeah, <laughs> so I said it. So I've got to do it. Um, and we got Oscar shortlisted. Mm-hmm. And I got the email sometime in December of that, that year saying, and it was one of those, oh my God moments where he said, dear, dear Mr. Jones, you've been, you're in the final 10 for the Oscars. Don't make any plans for February. You might be coming to the Oscars. Uh, and don't, don't, and don't, don't tell, tell anybody. It's like, what? Anyway, we ultimately didn't get into the final Oscar ceremony. We were in the final 10, mm-hmm. um, and it was a wild, wild ride. So wait, so you've kind of jumped from wanting to get an Oscar to suddenly being Oscar shortlisted. Yeah. How did that, what happened in between? So we made a film. And um, at every stage, I said, can this be the best that it can be? Um, We worked very, very hard on the screenplay. It's only, I don't know, 12 pages long. Um, And then we said, okay, well, what's the best format we can shoot? And it was 35 mil at that time. Okay. And what year would this have been? This was 2009. 2009, yeah. I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, digital was happening. Yeah. But it was, you know, yeah. it was not great yet. And certainly not affordable. Um, and just, and also because, you know, I, I'm good at blagging. I knew I could get the film stock free. I knew I could get the processing free. I, I, so and I just, let's shoot film. How much was the budget in all? Are you allowed it, to it say? It cost or? 25 grand. Okay. Um, and, um, like most films, a lot of that went on just logistics. Mm-hmm. So we had a massive crew of about 40. I mean, it was, wow. it was absurdly big. That's, um, that's why you want the Oscar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it does, you, you watch it and you go, okay. Yeah. Everything in front of the camera is, is that that it's that it's feature quality there's not a single frame in it where you go mm, that looks a little bit low budget and i know because i've you know, made the low budgets and i've seen enough low budgets to know that moment mm-hmm. and the music and the sound is just it's just you know i'm very very proud of it um uh, most of all i'm proud of how it impacts with um with people who watch it um so we made this film we were very very pleased with it and then uh, i'd also started a blog now blogs weren't what they are now there, there were some people doing them but i said oh the easiest way for me to keep in touch with my crowdfunders and we did this before indiegogo and kickstarter were really a big deal i just said look give me 50 quid and you can come to the oscars party with me <laughs> and that was enough That's to good, get yeah. to get you know that 25 grand in and um so uh, we we then had to com- follow through on that commitment. So how do you win the Oscar? And it turns out, actually, there's a fairly clear path. 
you have to win one of the hundred or so Oscar qualifying film festivals, or as it was then with the rules, I don't know whether that is in 2017, you had to play in LA or New York for a week. And at the time, there was a particular cinema where you just pay them $500 and they play your film for a week. No one sees it. Yeah. But yeah. you just get your mates to turn up. But you're an Oscar qualifier. So I did both. Actually, our very first outing, we won the Rhode Island International Film Festival, uh, which was an Oscar qualifier. And I, as just as a matter of course, I put it into a cinema as well because i wanted to know the process because i promised to share the journey um and then we toured it around the world and we ended up we we won over 50 festivals i actually stopped entering it because i got embarrassed because i'd go to a festival and you'd, i'd see these other filmmakers show up and they'd go oh no you're playing like, oh, i'm really sorry mate and i started feeling guilty for wow. winning so you know it's not you know i'm not saying oh, how cool am i but you know the film is the film. It's you know I'm not judged in relation to the film. It's just the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so I stopped entering it into film festivals because I didn't need to. You know, it's uh, there was and you some... wanted other people to win a few. Well, so. yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's funny because we're going through a very similar thing right now with a film called Seeing Him, which I mm-hmm. I ended up directing. It's I mean, it's a hilarious journey. It's like three uh, years of yeah, making. Yeah. There was a, they yeah. shot it before, right? Yeah, yeah. So so Vanessa, who who wrote and stars in it, she um. She stalked me on Twitter, and, and she's a self-confessed stalk. Twitter stalker. And then I met her at an event where I was speaking, and I was hugely impressed by who she presented. And I thought, this, this woman's going to achieve stuff because she's got that, that thing, so I want to help her. So I invested in her crowdfund and just watched from the sidelines. And then about six months later, she kind of sent me a tweet and said, I'm in real trouble with this film. I don't know what to do. And I said, look, just bring it in and let's have a look. Was she, it a private message or an actual tweet? It was, I'm in trouble, world. <laughs> <laughs> I know, well, I'll answer yeah. that. Listen, yeah. I'm, sure it was a, it was a, I'm sure it was public because, you know, well, Vanessa's, yeah. she's, she's not, you know, she's very, very proactive. Yeah. She's um, not shy on Twitter. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, exactly. Yeah. So she brought it in on some hard drives and we looked at it and, and after some time we went, there's not a film here. You know, so what were the options? Well, she went away, she wrote some pages and said, Well, I could do this, this, and this, and we could probably shoot it in a day and it'll fix it. And but I could see in her heart that wasn't really it. And then she came to the conclusion, look, I- I've just got to start again. And at that point, I'd already committed to directing this one day reshoot just to help her out. And she's like, Okay, so will you direct the whole film? I was like, Well, look, if you're gonna do all the work, sure, you know, I mean, sure. And then we worked on the script for a year or so. A festival happened. And then I ended up having a baby. And it all just got impossible. I couldn't squeeze it into my life. So she fired me. <laughs> and, and with a smile. And we, yeah. you know, she was working for the festival. Um, and she it's an hired... unusual reason for firing someone, having a baby as well. Well, yeah. I think it's a fairly you practical... You court. Yeah. yeah. You should have made a lot of money out yeah. of it. Yeah. Well, you know, we're all friends. And it, yeah. was, it was the right choice for her to make at that point. She hired a bunch of other directors. They ended up t- going to set with another director. It didn't work out with that director for various reasons. So it kind of bounced back to me to finish and it worked out brilliantly and we put it together and, and now it's a sweet balance of, of poignant performance with just the right amount of structure for audiences to understand what's going on and, and how it came to be and it packs quite a punch. For now it's doing festivals yep. 
and then we'll be able to see it reasonably soon. I, I that's a question for Vanessa, who, mm-hmm. as I said, much more cunning and savvy in chess playing. <laughs> She's than, going for the Oscar, so. Than, so than she appears. <laughs> so we'll just stalk her on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, and then, stalk her. Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit of advice for screenwriters, uh, but obviously we're talking about the screenwriters' course quite a bit. Just just a nice little tidbit for screenwriters for us. I would say know what it is you're writing. So know the genre, know what you want to get out of it, and then write significantly less. Fewer words. Mm -hmm, I I just think, you know, as an exercise, write your favorite scene and then rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it. We we had a guy who knew Alexander McKendrick, who's connected here with Ealing Studios. Um, he, He directed a ton of their films. And he was hired by the studios at one point his first big gig, the one that got him noticed, is that we're making a film. Um, I, I can't remember the, the, what the film was called, or, but the, there was this five or six page scene between a man and a woman, and they were both married, and there was the very strong possibility they were going to have an affair. But at the end of the scene, she was basically going to say no, and he was going to be a little bit disappointed. But it was all, you know, very polite. Mm-hmm. Um, and they knew this scene five pages. It was brilliantly written, but it was just too long. And he reduced it to basically three or four kind of noises where he went, hmm? Uh-huh. And, and literally it became like four lines. And it just it got to the essence of the scene. And it was funny and it was charming. And it's what lovers do. You know, it was, it was full of truth and honesty. Whereas the other five pages were brilliantly written, but lacking just that humanity mm-hmm. and so that's what i would say is reduce refine reduce refine and, and probably my biggest note make your own scripts because you will then have a massive shift in what you write how you write it how you look at it and a deeper respect for producers who you know when it says three elephants come down the road could we possibly have one or none <laughs> Uh, and or the, the answer, sound of an elephant behind you know, a door. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or choose your battles. Yeah. You know, because some sometimes you do need three elephants for that scene, but most of the time you don't. Or there's usually a, a more creative way. There's that great Sam Raimi quote from, from The Evil Dead where he said, uh, we didn't have anti-gravity belts, so we had to figure out how to do it with a plank and some rope. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's basically it. You know, it, it is all string and sellotape at the end of the day, even if it's emotional string and sellotape. You know, you, you actors are pretending, you know, but they're just pretending really powerfully and they're, they're pretending well-thought-out bits of narrative and hopefully the illusion comes together. I, I think film is like a magic trick. You know, it's, you set it up, you give the right expectation, and then you kind of do your thing, and people go, oh, wow. Uh, and it's a, it, when that happens, when it all comes together like that, it is like, it's truly magical, and it is magic, and, and I, I love it. Ultimately, the worst day of filmmaking beats the best day of stocking shelves at Tesco. That's a beautiful way to end it. It is. Yeah, that's spot on. Uh, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, where can people follow you? Um, so at Living Spirit Picks, P-I-X on Twitter. Uh, you can go to my blog, chrisjonesblog.com. Uh, the Screenwriters Festival is londonswf.com. Um, drop me, drop me an email. I usually respond except when we're in, you know, festival prep. So I won't respond for the next couple of weeks, but generally I do. Um, and there's tons of, you know, information on the blog going back years. And I tweet out maybe three or four articles about filmmaking every day, uh, from that, that back catalog of, um, 
you know everything from how to record foley at home to how to negotiate better or how to pitch that that kind of stuff Perfect. Uh, so yeah, the London Screen Night Festival, 15th to the 17th of September, 2017. Just in case this is a, a year old and someone's listening to this yeah, a year later. Yeah. They're, they're suddenly <laughs> trying to email you. What's happening, Chris? Why is it? No, it'll probably be on again next year. You can follow me at Giles Alderson. CJ, where can we follow you? Uh, at C James Direct on Twitter. Um, and yeah, ping me a message. I will, uh, I, I will. Please stalk him. Yeah, don't, please, <laughs> please, please stalk me. Uh, please, anyone, any stalkers. And, um, you, and you can follow us at Filmmakers Pod and go to www.thefilmmakerspodcast.com to catch up on all the old podcast episodes. So, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Thanks very much. I appreciate it. And yeah, been fantastic. Thank you very much. And cut. <laughs> <laughs>